If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson, and today I'm sitting down with Avez Bajwa, who is the founder and CEO of Oftanalytics, doing some great and important work with people around the world using machine learning and artificial intelligence. Avez, thank you so much for joining us on Data Chats. Maybe you could start by telling the audience a little bit more about what you do and uh, the background of Oftalytics. Sure, sure. So about myself, I'm in information technology for the last 20 years. I lived and worked in four different countries, and I speak five languages, by the way. So I speak to English right now, I think. Yeah, that's what I like to do now because it has more versatility as of now. So I have very technical background. I have served in different countries, as I said. So I'll t- I want to talk about Oftalytics. Uh, do you want to know about the background, how we started that? or Of course. Well, I'd love to know just, well, for the audience, what it is exactly sure. and how you're using data in particular. And then, yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about the genesis of it as well. Right. So Oftalytics is an applied artificial intelligence company. So what we do is we use different types of deep learning architectures and we use heavily different neural network architectures, especially we're focusing on CNNs. And we do have multiple other architectures in pipeline to just deep down going into the technology. Now, coming back to a high level, what is the business? So we use a deep learning in retinal disease detection. So our primary disease that we detect is diabetic retinopathy. So just to let you know, in US, there's around 37 million diabetic patient, that is around 10% of the U.S. population. Hmm. And uh, there are around 3,000 retina specialists. So this is a ratio of 1 to 12,000 patient, one retina specialist to 12,000 patient almost. So it is nearly impossible for all retina specialists to, you know, if they do 24 hours uh, examination for the patients, it is even not possible. So in the statistics uh, or the tasks that we have seen in last 10 years or 12 years in the U.S. Uh, health departments, so around 2 million patients, 2.1 million on average every year, lose a portion of their vision and eyesight because of this disease, and around 60,000 people go blind completely because of diabetic retinopathy. So this is so dangerous disease. Now, our artificial intelligence technology detects disease, this uh, diabetic retinopathy within three seconds, and it can be used in any primary care or any other uh, diabetic center. So that's why this is game-changing technology, and we are uh, very excited to bring that to the market. Yeah, I mean, my aunt uh, in Montreal had that exact issue, so it's a very personal thing for me as well, knowing what what people go through. How did you get started with the, the business? How did, like, obviously, there's the problem that you've just highlighted, how did you start to think about the solution? I'd be curious. All right. So it's, it's a personal story and I want to share real quick. So my both of my parents, they are now at the age of 80, 80 plus. 
So they are diabetic patients. So they both are type 2 diabetes. They do, uh, both have type 2 diabetes. And all uh, the time I've seen them struggling in getting the eye exam. So I was in Atlanta. I moved from Miami to Atlanta and they visited me first time my new house. So they were just, you know, trying to get the eye exam the same day. So even in the U.S., we had a very hard time in getting the ophthalmologist appointment. It was going around three months down the, you know, what, what the time we are looking for. And then there's a lot of insurance cost and all the stuff. So in 2017, I was heavily involved in machine learning and computer vision was one of my speciality. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was hunting for the use case. And luckily, I had a doctor in my house. My wife is a physician. So then I said, you know, I found the use case. So let's do that. So then I will develop a technology and you are my domain expert. So then that was actually the origin of our startup company. And then I think within one year, uh, since I uh, got connected with multiple, because artificial intelligence is data hungry, and especially deep learning and uh, neural networks, they require a lot of data. So my research topic was convolutional neural networks, and I had multiple architectures in my mind. So then I tried it out and that was the base of our startup company. And within a one year, we, are, we ended up with a very good, uh, decent uh, software. And then we started working with FDA and it's still a process in process, but we are excited about the results right now that we have. Yeah, I mean, and you, as you mentioned, like it's a game changer. I wanna know a little bit, how did you start to collect the data? Because as you said, when you're working with uh, artificial neural networks in particular, you need I don't know, millions, perhaps billions of, of pieces of information of data. Was that, was that in your, in this case, somewhat easy to collect or find, or what was the challenge there? That is a great question. And that was our greatest challenge as well, because especially in the healthcare industry, there's a lot of regulations and especially mm -hmm. I would highlight that there is a need of having access accessibility of the data, especially for the startup community because there's a lot of innovation is hidden where the startup people are leveraging, uh, want to leverage this data. So luckily we had some connections offshore. I'm originally from Pakistan and over there, the data regulations are not like as tough as we have here. So we had some of the connection then we got and also I had connections uh, in Africa. So we collected some of the data sets. Those were uh, you know available for the researchers. Then also we collected some of the data here in US, those were available, uh, that was available. So in short, like uh, we initially are for our MVP one, we had a hard time in collecting data, but we were able to do that. And then we had regressive, uh, I mean, aggressive and, uh, you know, modeling, labeling, we had, uh, because we have, we have to have doctors. Artificial intelligence need, this is one of the secret that we have learned. Artificial intelligence need very, especially in supervised, uh, machine learning domain, you need to be very accurate in training. So that was another challenge we had that apart from getting a good quality data, you need to have good quality labeling yeah. so, and training. So that was our start. Yeah. And I think when we talk to at Pragmatic, when we talk to business people who are not super well-versed in, uh, in computer science, one, I think one of the surprising things is how difficult it is to get good data, as you said, and especially if you're training then you need good labeling. What did you learn from that experience that could help others in, in different domains, perhaps, when they're looking to leverage AI and then they realize, well, we don't necessarily have the data that we need to leverage it? Yeah, so I would like to generalize a little bit because there are different techniques in uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, we have, and actually there, there are different uh, domains also, but I want to generalize that uh, 
because if we talk about traditional machine learning, there is a different perspective of the data and there is a different best practices. Or if you talk about machine deep learning, that is sometimes we call the most innovative part of the AI because it's all about uh, data and how you train that. So in general, I would say that first of all, if we are getting to the problem, so we need to understand from the business side, I mean, what is the, the business requirement and where the existing information exists. Existing information means that, I mean, data is if end of the day, whenever we talk about information, it's all about data. Mm-hmm. But, but the best practice is, what is the accurate data? What is the source of truth? What is the correct data? What is the data quality, the best quality data? And also the people who are providing this data, they understand the business requirement and, and what we are going to achieve with this data. So these are the most fundamental things that sometimes people miss, even very experienced people, they just jump into the data, they start, they start doing EDA, we call it exploratory data analysis, not understanding strategic value of where, what they want to achieve. So you want mm-hmm. to put a target first, and then you want to come backwards towards your business alignment with the data strategy. Yeah, and maybe you could say a little bit more about how you tackled that specifically. I mean, not giving away necessarily trade secrets or anything, but how when you realized what it was you wanted to achieve, how did you go about translating that? I mean, it sounds like a very startup culture that you're that you're working with, right? So maybe it's not a huge organization, and perhaps there would be different considerations. But how did you set a target and then go about collecting and making sure that the data was as useful as possible? Yeah, sure. So I will uh, tell you a little bit about techniques that we used. And I'm very open. You know, of course, this is not a technology that we can hire. It's everywhere. And as much as we exchange the knowledge, and I'm a very open person, and I, w- I would love to exchange knowledge. I would love to get to know people who want to share their knowledge. So number one thing is, that I want to talk about a little technical on the architecture side. So there is two approaches that we are leveraging. One is that we have some of the existing history that is on pipeline and it is where we can leverage NLP. So NLP is most on the text-based and then we have purely visual data where we have just images and then we leverage the images. So in so both of the things have different strategies, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have textual-based data, you have to have a different strategy and then on the vision-based completely, the image-based data, you have to have different strategy. But I think end of the day, most important thing is that, you know, artificial intelligence, I would say the biggest challenge for artificial intelligence, how it will generalize in end of the day, how you generalize. I mean, you have some knowledge, you have trained some artificial intelligence model on some specific mindset, some specific knowledge, but now in the real time, when you put it in a production, when it is in when you're looking for handling the patients in the real world, now your model needs to perform. That is the real test, right? Mm -hmm. So at that time, you have to keep that in mind. Start at the time of when you are training, right? So from the deep learning side, the the secret I have seen is that you have to have very diverse set of uh, data sets, and then you have to be in active learning mode. I call it, it's a new terminology. Maybe I'm coining today, or maybe it's there Mm -hmm. out there but active learning and continuous learning. Because, you know, look at that. If you have any doctor, they have to get certifications to keep their knowledge up to date. See, similarly, same thing goes for the machine learning models. There are concepts of data drift, model drift, but in short, I think active learning is a key to success and having the most generalized models. So that, I think, if I go back, 
I have seen that uh, this this approach really helped us, and we always try to some kind of like uh, generalize the data set. We put a lot of variations in the data set, and we try to have a bigger population handled at the start of the modeling process as well. Yeah, how do you think about or measure success when you're when you're setting goals and also when you're looking to you know measure whether you've met them or not? I know. You know, if we're talking about sales, maybe people would be happy if 50% of the, the time they're successful, right? 50% of the people who come buy something, that's great probably in a lot of marketing situations. Not so great if you're trying to evaluate whether somebody has a particular disease or not. You know, 50% is horrible if that's your, your average. How do you set your, your goals and how do you make sure that you meet them? Knowing, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you'll never be absolute 100% accurate all of the time. Yeah, sure. Well, I think just to tell you, I mean, uh, one is one is the one aspect is commercialization, but the other aspect for our company is to just help community. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently in January, we signed a contract, uh, not a contract, I mean, this is just an MOU to provide free services in underdeveloped countries where they don't have ophthalmologists available. So I have signed an MOU with the hospital and we have tremendous results in, in, our, in the outcome of using AI. So that was a five months pilot and it's, help, it's finishing next month. So one of our KPI, you say, or the matrices that we put is like how many people, how many patients we will detect in a given month and they will be treated afterwards uh, using the latest and you know technology and uh, sorry the uh, you know prime uh, you know like the general practitioner we call it in Asia general practitioner here mm-hmm. it's called PCP because general practitioner have no clue what's happening in the eye that's why they are dependent on ophthalmologists so we brought our models right in the clinical settings and it is working perfectly and that was one of our matrices that I mean we are we're not looking for money over there we're looking for how many people are getting diagnosed and then how many gets treated and how many really had the disease really had the disease and then uh, you know like honestly if i have some results within uh, one week i mean like if i if my software is getting diagnosed is diagnosing patients those needs you know treatment i am i'm feeling very lucky and you know that is one of our KPIs to that. Now, coming to the, the market, the US market and others, I think there, there can be different aspects. One of the things I would say to call our models as successful is the sustainability part, because sustainability for artificial intelligence models is very important, because a lot of businesses, you can maybe push the products, but it's very shining, beautiful things, but once it gets to the production, once it gets to the market, they do not perform very well, and then it loses the shine. So you have to make sure that it is a continuous feedback coming from the customer, and then you are accommodating if there is any gap within the product performance. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that in this case where, you know, it, it sounds to me like you're not going to get customer reviews per se, right? You're not selling to people who are therefore going to rate you out of five or whatever. So what is the best way that you found for getting that kind of feedback and how do you implement that when you're thinking about that kind of constant learning? Yeah, so in, in our existing technical implementation, we are having a one weekly rhythm 
because this is our new build software that was uh, that is in production now so we are having one weekly rhythm it's all all although it's very late for my team because in the offshore this is clinical implementation is in asia that's a very late call for us but we are we are just spending a late time late office hours or late time so just to wake up and early morning and then taking feedback from the customer we are just taking very seriously because feedback is everything for the product once you bring in the market and then you you get to know new uh, you know new feedback every week you get to know new okay this is the patient this was the condition and it was diagnosed very good these these are you know we we actually have a feature we call it as explainable ai so we don't only diagnose that this is uh, yes or no but we go in a little bit more detail we say that okay where where was the disease why it was the disease so this is a, a kind of feature that we are very proud of so this is uh, called more of explainability side mm-hmm. it is it is it is very helpful for the physician community as well because they rely on the ai it is good for the regulatory people they also rely on the ai that okay this is making decision and it is telling why it is making decision this is one of the thing that really helped us uh, and then communicating with the patient back like okay this is our decision and that's why the report is saying this is was the decision so i think this helped a lot and this gave us a lot of feedback yeah uh-huh. i'd like to dig into that a little bit because it's something that i think just like realizing that okay the data is not necessarily going to be as easy to locate as as you might think at first when you're thinking about implementing ai the other issue i found is that the explainability is often you know you don't realize that explainability plays such a crucial role when you're when you're implementing ai and yet as you said, it, you know, it does in most cases. There are there are some cases where you may not need to understand, and a black box technology is going to be okay for your purposes. But as you said, it sounds like it's it's very important to be able to explain why you arrived at a conclusion. So first off, can, yeah, can you say a little bit more about what explainability means in the context of AI, and then why it's important? We'll get into why it's important after that. Sure. So I think I want to be very sensitive to one aspect of explainability, especially in deep learning. And I want to be very loud and clear. If anyone say that it is explaining what is happening, it is not the right thing. I'm not saying black because deep learning, how it's making a decision, it is totally a black box. But there are different ways to manipulate that decisions to make it explainable. So let me give you an example. And if you allow me, I'll go a little bit more technical. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in in deep learning, there's a different ways to to classify. Like for example, if you have an X-ray. Okay. So you have a chest X-ray. I'll I'll just give it a very high level. So you have a chest X-ray. So you will have one way of classification in AI or deep learning. So that will be a classification model. That is purely classification. Mean okay, this is a binary classification. It is yes or no. Right. Now. If we wanna go one way ahead of that, if we wanna uh, you know go a little bit more, we'll we will have another model. It is more on the segmentation models, or object detection models, or we we have different approaches where we can allocate, we can go to the exact location of the chest X-ray, and we will pinpoint. Okay, this is the area where the disease is. Now, how the neural networks learn. It is a process of a forward propagation and back propagation, then adjusting the weight and then calling the activation functions. This all is very complex. 
even you know the latest research we cannot give exactly why and what is that black box is but we can somehow manipulate this system in a sense like we have one classification and then we have another segmentation and then object detection models that will actually pinpoint what is the area of the diseases so that actually helps a lot because for example if you are if you are a physician i'm i'm telling you okay this is the image this is the uh, this is the x ray and i think this is this has cancer okay that's fine maybe it is 90% of the time it is but the doctor will be more interested in finding out exactly show me where it is so that i can you know diagnose it better same if i relate to the retinal diseases if you look at the image of the retina we can say that the di- the, the patient has a diabetic retinopathy or not this is very beautiful this is yes or no but again if we kind of go in segmentation and localization it will be more explainable and mm-hmm. then we cannot call it as an explainability of deep learning but it is just explainability that we are trying to uh, manipulate the technologies to make it more explainable that's what i'm talking about explainability yeah that's interesting and so would you in that scenario are we speaking about explainability as sort of related to or put into the sense of probability or is it different how do you talk about explainability in this sense yeah no i think explainability a widely discussed top- topic in terms of artificial intelligence uh, and especially uh, within deep learning domains because deep learning is more of a black box and there's a lot of research going on and there is a topic also in dis- under discussion called explainable ai so i am more focused and my my discussion was more more focused towards how we can explicitly make ai explainable uh using our explicit techniques but not uh, not in a sense like we are going in depth in ai and manipulating the neural networks and tweaking the activation function or or tweaking other weights and finding out what is happening that is just uh, a mathematics and that is happening and no one knows how it's happened that's why we call it sometime artificial intelligence deep deep neural networks as a black box mm-hmm. so then when you are when you are explaining it or i mean maybe you're not literally explaining it but how do you present explainability in that way like what would you what what would you explain to somebody using your technology when it, when it comes to explainability knowing that you can't go into that level of detail with the deep learning yeah so i i just want to be very careful in talking about explainability because when you talk about regulatory concerns okay. or regulatory affairs so some uh, some regulatory uh, things or maybe the pipelines that they have they don't allow to be more explainable because if for example if i am saying that my device is predicated to already some device that has already been approved and if they are not doing a lot of explainability we should not do explainability but let me just try to explain so what i wanted to say is like we have a version of our report that is just a textual report that will tell you okay this is the i diagnosis mm-hmm. and that's what we think that is one version of that right and then there's another version of that that we will see okay these are the four quadrants of the eyes and we think this first quadrant has these kind of conditions and second quadrant has these kind of conditions so for a reader for an ophthalmologist this is really valuable and mm. they can actually relate that to their own findings and then they can see that now there's another point of then another version of report 
that will actually go in a lot more detail. It will actually pinpoint exact location is in X1, Y1, X2, Y2 location. And then we'll put a bounding box or we will just mark that as a heat map or segmentation. There are different techniques to that, that we can, we, it will be more general uh, explainable report, I would say. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. I wonder if you've come across, I mean, as you were deciding how to implement things and how to best set them up for usability for others who are not mess, you know, into machine learning per se, but who want the results. Have you seen better or worse practices that you might be able to generalize for organizations so that they, if they are thinking about implementing any kind of uh, strategic AI, that you know, here are some issues they might want to watch out for, here are some best practices. What are some generalizable insights that you've, you've acquired from that? If I talk about the general best practice or the general trend of artificial intelligence, and if I want to share some of my feedback for the organizations or individuals or you know team leads to how they can better embrace AI. So I want to tell you one thing very clearly, Chris, that I, I'm in IT industry for the last 25 years almost, but I have seen a lot of technologies come and go. Artificial intelligence, after the after the ImageNet competition in 2012, it grew exponentially. And although this is a very old technology, this is not a new technology, you all, we all know it's a 70 years old technology, but this is the technology, this is one of a kind technology that we have in our hands right now. Now it comes with a lot of challenges. And then one of the challenge that I can say is, I think we still need to figure out AI, and its best use and its best adoption in multiple bigger enterprises. And the advice I wanna give is that we cannot buy AI. A lot of companies try to just purchase, like buy, like any new technology comes to, they can have maybe a lot of consulting forces. I have been into consulting. I, in my past, I've worked for bigger organizations, including Ernest and Young and others. So I know that how consulting looks like, but I think, for, for this kind of technology, I think this is more of an inside out kind of technology. So we need to understand exactly what this is, at least the basics of the technology. Even I would recommend all the high level directors, senior directors, CIOs, and all, they should know the basics and the data foundations of this AI and why we are looking for this technology and what it's gonna do in the future. So that is one of the thing I have seen, it helped a lot because the organizations, those are taking this technology seriously and they are just taking uh, approach, uh, as I call it, as an inside out. So they train their employees, they organize some of the competition, they just provide some resources to their own employees because end of the day, the data is in within the organization. If you are having some, some new organization that is helping, they need to understand, they need to, uh, you know, understand exactly a lot of things, and then they have to handshake with the people to embrace this technology. So that is one thing. Second thing is that we talk about data all the time. So number one, we talk about the inside out approach, like build some you know knowledge based within your organization. Now, second thing I'm, talk, I'm gonna talk about taking data seriously. So, you know, everyone talks about data and even, you know, I have seen a lot of the time, even in my projects, we have had a lot of meetings. Okay, we need to have good quality data and data, data. We talk about data all the time, but end of the day, there's a problem of the data, you know? So data ownership 
data quality, data purity, and data veracity. Like, I mean, how variable your data set is. Because in, in artificial intelligence, uh, typical the, the, the typical data warehouses and the concepts of traditional data warehousing or uh, data architecture have been changed a little bit. So now you have to see if you're training the, the, the machine learning models and, and, and you want to go uh, and, and you want to bring your model into the production, then you have to see not only the existing business, but the strategic vision, because strategically you have to see if you are, uh, because you, you're going to have more knowledge, more information from the customer, how that will be aligned in the future models. And I think end of the day, data is a core of the AI. The companies need to have very strong best practices and uh, data strategy in the long run. And, and then aligned with the machine learning and data engineers and artificial intelligence experts. Yeah, I think those are all key, as you, as you mentioned. It's interesting that you, you bring up this idea in a different context that it needs to be inside out or outside in. At Pragmatic, when we talk about marketing, marketing products and designing products, we talk about an outside in approach because you want to go out and understand what the market needs and then you want to design it as opposed to designing what you think would be good and then realizing, you know, the market doesn't necessarily need that. I wonder if there are parallels with that kind of, you know, marketing and product management approach where you want to go out and then you want to design it based on what you found there. Would it look similar when you want to design an AI approach? Or as you said, would you, would you want to start maybe from the inside? What, like, what exactly does that look like when you're trying to solve a problem? Do you say, you know, here's the problem we're looking at where you, you understand that and then you design it there, or I think it goes into an issue of partnership too, right? Do you look for outside in approaches when it comes to AI solutions or inside out meaning, well, maybe well, go ahead. I don't want to yeah, tell yeah, you what to answer. Yeah, sorry. Let me just uh, explain it a little bit more because I just want to be uh, very transparent in that. Mm -hmm. Like when I say inside out approach, it means that this technology definitely need to look into the market, what is happening, and then getting the best of the best, and then mm -hmm. getting the experience, because that is one of the things I really want to highlight, is that getting, sharing the experience, sharing the knowledge with the community, and getting outside in is definitely one way in, and it has to be there, right? Mm -hmm. But what I meant by inside out is that you actually need to develop some of the talent inside as well. Yeah. And you need to have that talent inside uh, in your organizations to be very successful in AI. But at the same time, you pointed out and you actually, I tried to coin new term terminology, you coined another terminology. So <laughs> I love that. So basically inside out and outside in, it's basically a shake hand, I, I would say. Hmm. So, uh, so I think because the pace of research, pace of development and pace of advancements in artificial intelligence is exponential in the industry. So you cannot win alone, to be honest. This is mm -hmm. period. So you need to have collaborations. You need to bring some experience. And then inside out means that you have the, the, the ownership of your strategy, your data strategy, your AI strategy. You own that. You have to, as an organization, you need to make sure that you understand that, that you are going to have your own vision. And then you have collaborations and then you have a lot of knowledge sharing then you have a lot of partners. This is definitely required. So I would say inside out first and then outside in is the second approach. Yeah. And they, they both work hand in hand. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. I, I, I see what you mean that you do need both. Absolutely. 
What about, I guess, do you have advice for people who are thinking about fully embracing or, or utilizing AI and are, you know, considering, do we do this in-house or do we do this or do we buy a product or service that is AI-based? I mean, there's obviously pros and cons, but I wonder what kind of things should you be thinking about or looking out for when you're kind of weighing those decisions about buying, you know, partnering or, or just purchasing it outright? Yeah, sure. So a couple of things here. Uh, one of the thing I just want to be, uh, I just want to advise or I, I have been uh, myself, I've, I've been very careful whenever I'm talking to uh, vendors who have the new product. So I have seen like there are traditional products, but for the last couple of years, the same products got one more labeling as AI enabled. So mm. try to be careful about the products. I mean, just we need to understand what is the value that product is bringing because it's a great technology, but unfortunately, there's a lot of hype also. So mm-hmm. we need to be very careful and you can only shield yourself, your budget, your company, only if you understand it, some level of understanding you have. Now, talking about the mindset of, in, in, I mean, mindset of a, a company leader or an organization leadership when they are uh, they're in the market looking at the products. So one thing is that artificial intelligence is somehow uh, more specific technology. When I say like specific and personalized kind of technology, like because it is not generalizable, it's hard yeah. to generalize AI than to be personalized. So whenever anyone is selling you a product that is a good fit for your organization, you have to see what is the use case and what is your domain? What is your special thing? What is your personalization? What is your niche area that you are working on? Because any good product, it's it's, it's all about knowledge. It's, it's, it's about information and, and, and knowledge. So any knowledge, how that knowledge can plug into your enterprise, there will be some learning. So how that learning will work, that you have to define. And then you have to define the strategic roadmap for that. So sometime, a lot of products I've seen, a lot of companies actually offer a free product. And I have seen bigger organizations, some managers make a decision, oh, wow, we are getting a six month free. So keep in mind, if you see there is no, uh, what is the product that you are buying and there is free. So basically you are the product. You know, so your knowledge, your data, your information, that is the, the, the money that you're paying. So that's why I think these are the few things I would highlight as a data leader or AI leader when you are trying to get into the market and talking to the vendors. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points to think about is, you know, and for different levels of people and, diff- you know, different levels of knowledge when it comes to this, uh, this technology. I guess if you were going to give advice on uh, strategic business leadership, as well as people who might be more on the ground dealing with machine learning at an organization, artificial intelligence, what are two things that they could do? Maybe they're different, maybe they're the same for the different levels of people working in an organization, but what are two things they could start to do to improve the way they and their organization use or think about AI? I think, as I said, like one thing I've already discussed before, but I'll just try to try to summarize one more thing. So getting to the community and getting to know what is out there and what are the different, you know, offering the AI has or what is our latest research? Because if I'm talking about AI, then AI is a vast field. I mean, there's a lot of research happening. There's a lot of new things happening. So I think I have seen organizations hiring some of the researchers and then there are research researches happening and they are looking for immediate outcome. Like, mm-hmm. okay, how we can make immediate money. So AI is more of a strategic thing. You know, we have to see 
that where we have the where we have the most information the most knowledge the most data organization data data available in the organization and how we can leverage that strategically because a lot of data is available in all organization but they are not in a shape where they can the organizations can do immediate benefits for that so you need to work strategically and collaborate with others okay what are the best approaches in ai and what is the best practices get to the community it is not an isolated technology it is more of a collaborative technology you need to meet other people you need to get the best practices join the meetups join the uh, collaborative events and actually get to the people who are implementing that share knowledge and then work strategically that is one very important thing the the other thing i would say is you know try to pick and choose the battles you know in ai there can be a lot of different options and this is again a, a secret and an art like what is the thing that you can have a short term versus long term so that's why here it comes like lot of a product manager in ai that is the that is the role that has been uh, you know exponentially uh, you know very becoming very famous in the in, in the market in the ai domain because artificial intelligence product manager understands the business vision of the organization they understand what is the value of the information the data and the past information available in the organization and then they pick and choose what are their battles what are their strategic battles what are their uh, low hanging fruits with the available information and what is the level of truthness or the quality of the information they have and what they can achieve in a short term with the data so the definition of product management has changed dramatically in ai world because traditional product managers were not very technical but now in an artificial intelligence world product managers have a very crucial role and they need to have a solid grip of the, i mean they don't need to write neural network codes all the time but mm-hmm. they need to understand why they are picking and choosing some business objectives and what is the capability they have and what is the data that will support their business initiatives so that's why i think these are the two things that those are very important in my in my opinion yeah i think that's you know actionable and, and important advice and i mean you're doing such interesting things and important work avais and i really appreciate you talking to me today about that i wonder if people want to know more about you or follow some of your work where should they look i am actually published so if you google my name and uh, you put java i my original technology was java so you will find a lot of terminology in java uh, i'm actually open in a linked i mean i have put some of the publications on linkedin i write on medium mm-hmm. uh, medium i have a regular blog that i write and i actually uh, contributed a couple of books in the past and i think unfortunately i'm not keeping a lot of information on my linkedin profile i have in my list that i have to update my linkedin profile but somehow <laughs> one of your uh, many is, tasks yeah yeah but but i think i'm published i have some work and i'm very open to collaborate please uh, anyone who has any question for me or want to have a collaboration or want to collaborate ask about my work and i by the way i do voluntary uh, training for some of the third world countries uh, data scientists so i run a camp uh, over the weekend for 2 hours uh, every week so i just spend and give direction this is just a uh, giving back to the community and i'm very open i'm very open in communication and very easy to reach out to well that's excellent and i'm sure yeah some of our listeners will no doubt take you up on that and uh, and look you up and contact you so i really appreciate you talking to us today thank you so much avais Hey, great talking to you Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Data Chats. 
And to our listeners, you can harness the power of your organization's data with Pragmatic Institute's newest course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Partner with data professionals to uncover business value, make informed decisions, and solve problems. The upcoming open enrollment session of DS for BL runs from May 23rd to 24th, or speak to our sales team about scheduling a private training tailored to your team's needs. Learn more at pragmaticinstitute.com slash data. <laughs>